This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com. Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. So up to chapter 49. Page 724. Now, the Rebbe started out in chapter 46. He explained that the heart of man is like a mirror. And if you love someone, the other person can't help but love you in return. It's a fact. Just like the mirror can't help but reflect, show you reflection back, so too the heart is like a mirror. You love someone, that person will love you. Someone loves you, you can't help but love them. That's true even if someone is your peer on an equal level. Imagine if the one who loves you is way beyond you, way superior to you. The one who loves you is head and shoulders above you. The most powerful, the most wealthy is the greatest king, the mightiest king, suddenly took a liking to you and fell in love with you. And he only has an eye to you. The only one he's attracted to and the only one he cares about is you. And you're the only one he invites into his innermost chambers. His ministers he doesn't let in. His closest advisors he doesn't let in. Who does he bring into his innermost chamber? And who does he fall in love with? And who is he intimate with? With you? Who does he want to marry? Only you. So you think you would have a problem loving, <laughs> loving him back? You think it would be a great difficulty? But I'm not such a noble person. I'm not such a great person. I don't appreciate greatness. On the contrary. That only highlights the love. The king loves me despite the fact that I'm such a lowly person, and yet, from all his choices, who did he pick? He picked me, and he fell in love with me, and he's attracted to me, and he only cares about me. Then how much more so? Your heart will just sw will swell with love, and you, can, you can't help yourself but love the king in return. So the same thing is with Hashem and the Jewish people. Hashem's love for the Jewish people. Where do we see this? Because we see this in the act of creation. Because the act of creation is the ultimate act of love. Because Hashem is infinite and His light is infinite. And therefore, there could be no creation from Hashem's infinite light. Hashem's infinite light is no room for creation. How, how do you get from something infinite to something finite and to our finite and limited world? In order to get to the conscious level, to get to our finite, limited world, you had to, with, with a, mul a multitude, a world with so many, a variety of different, and each one has its own definition and character and personality, and each one has its own nature. To get to this world, you had to have many tzimtzumim, many, many contractions. As we discussed in the last chapter, the, the three basic tzimtzumim, even after God emanated from within himself the world of emanation, then you have to have the great tzimtzum in order to create the world of creation, and then the great tzimtzum for the world of formation, and then the great tzimtzum for the world of action. So many different levels and layers. So this is the ultimate act of Hashem's love for us. Because Hashem loves us, that's why he removed himself, so to speak. He created a space for us. It's the ultimate act of love. So it's, it's Hashem's intense love for us that enabled us to exist as we do exist today. That enabled for our reality. Because creation is not about self-expression. Creation is about Symptom. Hashem had to remove himself. It's about the absence of Hashem. Hashem had to remove his presence, remove 
our awareness of His presence. There is no removal of Hashem's presence. Hashem is just as present today as He was before. There is no difference. And even His infinite light is just as present and permeates all of reality. But consciously, He removed His presence. We don't sense His presence. And because we don't sense His presence, we sense ourselves, our egos. And therefore, that's the world that we live in. So Hashem enabled our world to exist. So it's the ultimate act of love. So creation is the ultimate demonstration of Hashem's love for us. It's only because He wanted to have a relationship with us. Why did God create the world? Why did God create? Because He wanted to marry us. Because God is perfect. He can't marry Himself. For whatever reason, He wanted to be married. And He wanted to marry us. So He created a whole, He removed Himself and concentrated Himself and limited Himself just in order to enable us to exist. So we can exist independently. So we can feel that we're independent. So then we can deliberately choose to have a relationship with Him. With the satisfaction that it gives us that we have that marriage and we have that relationship, that intimate relationship with Hashem. So this is the ultimate act of self-sacrifice. Creation is an act of self-sacrifice, not self-expression. It's not the act, it's the act of self-removal. Only out of His love for us. Because he wanted to marry us. So it's not only that Hashem took us out of Egypt and he demonstrated his love for us 3,322 years ago. But every moment of creation, Hashem is demonstrating his love for us. Because he's enabling us to exist only out of his love for us. The whole reason why God went through the whole the whole act of creation, why he created the upper world and he created the world of the angels and he created the world of emanation and he emanated from within himself the world of emanation and then he created the world of the angels and the world of the souls and the world of the angels and ultimately he created our world, the lowest of all the worlds. The ultimate purpose was only for our sake. We are the purpose of creation. Why did God create the world? For the sake of the Jew and for the sake of Torah. So all of this was done. These mighty, powerful contractions and limitations and reductions and all of this was done out of His love for us because He wanted to marry us. That's the whole purpose. God has no other purpose for creation. He has no other need for creation. That's the ultimate purpose. Only for our sake. So this is the ultimate expression of Hashem's love for us. So when you realize Hashem's love for us, you can't help but love Hashem in return. If Hashem is ready to sacrifice Himself and to remove Himself only for our sake, we can't help but love Hashem in return. Reciprocate. Sacrifice ourselves. Get over ourselves for half a second. Quarter of a second. Forget about ourselves for a second. For the sake of Hashem, Hashem could forget about himself for our sake only because he loves us so much. So we can also get beyond our egos. Go beyond ourselves. Push ourselves. A little sacrifice. And it's, it's, it's like a mirror. If Hashem loves us so much and we're aware of it and we realize it, we can't help but love Hashem in return. And we want to do something for Hashem. Hashem gave up everything, so to speak, for us. We can also give up everything for Hashem. And do it lovingly. Because it's the ultimate act of love. That's basically what we're going to be discussing. You want to read? Top of page 724. The Alter Rebbe explained in the previous chapter that since the light and life drawn down from Hashem is infinite, I'm so, as its name indicates. Therefore, in order for this finite world to be created, the divine light had to undergo a multitude of contractions, symptoms. This was the only way that finite creation could proceed from the infinite light of I'm so. Were it to have been drawn down in an orderly progression, finitude would have never resulted. As will be explained later in this chapter, 
All these contractions were the result of Hashem's love for the Jewish people and, and his desire they have, op they have the opportunity to fulfill, fulfill Torah and Mitzvah. The Alter Rebbe now describes these contractions in a general manner and will conclude that just as Hashem overcame all obstacles because of his love for the Jews and created finite worlds and creatures so, too, as water mirrors the reflection of faith, should every Jew overcome all obstacles and come to experience the love of Hashem. Moreover, just as Hashem brought forth His light into this world in a manner that transcended orderly and limited progression, so too should every Jew seek to serve Hashem, not only in an orderly and limited fashion, but without limit, renouncing everything for the sake of His love for Him, of Him. Even limitations foisted upon Him by the world's very nature should not act as an impediment to his, to his service of Hashem. Even though the particular aspects of the nature of the, of the obscuring and concealment of the infinite light of the blessed Ein Sof in the descent of the worlds, descending as they do ever lower until this material world is created, are too numerous to count and are of many diverse kinds, as is known to those who have tasted of the tree of life, Kabbalah. Yet, in general, there are three levels of powerful and comprehensive contraction, giving rise to the three comprehensive worlds, each category consisting of myriads upon myriads of particulars. These are the worlds of Berea, Yitzira, and Asiya. For the world of Asura is godliness itself. The world of emanation is also a world, but that's so to speak, like God's personality, God's character, God emanates within himself. This is the world. The only reason it's called a world is because God contracted himself and emanated from, from within himself defined characteristics like wisdom, understanding, knowledge, love. God, of course, is undefined. So to get from the undefined to the defined, you need a tzimtzum. But even the defined it's infinite love, it's infinite wisdom, it's divine wisdom. So it's still absolutely connected with God. Even though we don't fully understand how, but it's absolutely connected with God. There's no separation. Just like the body and the soul. The body is connected with the soul. The body is one with the soul. So too, the attributes of the world of Atsilas are completely unified within God even though it's like a body to God because it's defined attributes and God is undefined. Not only is God infinite, but God is undefined. But nevertheless, it's like a body and a soul. They're completely unified. There's no separation. There's no ego. The body has no ego. There's no separation. The body is the soul and the soul is the body. They're inseparable. But beginning with the world of creation, that's where creation begins. That's something from nothing. With that, you're creating something that doesn't exist in the source. You're creating something limited. There's no limitation within God. So you're creating something that doesn't exist within the source, something that feels separate from God. And beginning with the world of creation. The world of creation is the world of intellect, powerful intellect, profound intellect. You know, an angel is like a third of this world. You take all the intellect, all the brains, and add it all up together, one angel is like, <laughs> is like uh, you know, a few million Einsteins together. You know, their comprehension, their understanding of physics, their understanding of reality makes our science like child play. Our, the most sophisticated, the most modern, the most advanced physics is, is child play in comparison to the level of understanding of an angel especially the world of Bria, the highest world. So you're dealing with something that's totally, but nevertheless, it's intellect. But intellect, by definition, is I understand. There's an I that understands. There's an objectivity. So there's, there's a separation between the understander and the, and the thing you're understanding. So even though the angels, their mind is fully engaged and occupied in understanding godliness, but nevertheless, what do they understand? They understand godliness. And they're swallowed up within godliness. Like a fish in water. They understand their source. They know they're constantly being created. But nevertheless, the fish and the water are two separate entities. The fact that they understand 
means that there's an I that understands. Or there's an I that's nullified. I am nothing, but there's an I that's nothing. <laughs> so there's already a separation. That's why they're creation. They're the beginning of creation. God created heaven and earth. He created angels. They're a creation. They're not God. They're not divine. You're not allowed to worship an angel. An angel is a creation. An angel is spiritual. An angel is pure, pure spirit. But an angel is not God. And anyone who worships an angel, is, that's idolatry. An angel is a creation. Because the angel understands God. And the angel's on fire with God. And the angel is praising God. And loves God. And sings to God. And yearns to God. But nevertheless, the angel, by definition, is a creation that's separate. That's trying to bridge the gap. That's trying to come closer to God. But there is a glass ceiling which you can't go beyond. The creation cannot become not creation. The creation cannot become God. There's a separation, a divide between the creator and the created. The creator is not the creator and not God. And if you treat the creator as God, that's idolatry. It's something separate. How can this come about? This comes about this separation, this creation, act of creation, this came about through a powerful symptom. There had to be a powerful contraction to be able to screen the light and to be able to create something from nothing. Something that feels separate, that's apart, and that feels independent. But that's the first world. It's the closest world. It's still a holy world. It's mostly good because the world is consumed with understanding godliness, comprehending godliness. So it uses its separation. It's completely consumed with being swallowed up within godliness and understanding its source and trying to come close to its source. So this is a holy world, but it's a world nonetheless. and comes about through a powerful timid. Then, you have from the world of creation, you have the world of formation, which is mostly the world of emotions. Powerful angels with powerful emotions. Michal has powerful emotions of love. Gavriel, powerful emotions of awe. When you're trembling in the presence of Hashem, when you sense the intensity of Hashem's presence, the overwhelming, it overwhelms you, and it's powerful. And you stand in awe, and you start shivering and shaking. When you're standing in the presence of greatness, you start sh- shivering and shaking. That's, that's Gavriel. And then you have uh, compassion, all the different emotions. So that's the world of formation. And then you have the world of action. Just like you have different waters. There are waters that are very sweet. Then you have waters that are very salty. It's not drinkable. It's our world. Mostly evil. Evil is very powerful in this world. All of the world you have a little mixture. But in the world of Bria, the world of creation, it's mostly good. The water is sweet. Then you have the world of formation, it's half and half. Then you have the world of action, and there it's mostly bitter, salty. Because the world of action is mostly negative, it's the farthest away. So to get from one world to the next, you have to go through a very powerful contraction. Now within each world itself, once you're already created, the world of creation, within each world itself, it's more like a progression. Like a chain reaction. One chain leads to the next chain, to the next, next link, to the next link. But to get from one world to another world, you need a powerful contraction. Like a radical leap to get from one world to the next. So these are the three powerful contractions that he's describing. First, starting out with the world of creation, which is the souls and the higher angels, which are the intellectual angels, powerful intellects. And that's the world of creation. In order to create the world of Berea, which consists of higher souls and angels whose service to Hashem is in the sphere of intellectual facilities of Chabad, which are closed, closed in them, an example godliness is revealed to them in an intellectual manner through the three intellectual facilities of Chachma, Bina and Da'at, and they, an example of the souls of the angels, apprehend them and receive influence from them, from Chabad, which illumin, illuminates them, 
in order to create a world whose creations are not wholly nullified to Hashem, as is the case in Atzilut, but are only capable of knowledge and comprehension, and it will be noted that comprehension entails an awareness of one's own being, in that comprehension presupposes an entity who is comprehended. There necessarily preceded a, a powerful contraction as mentioned above. A mighty contraction was necessary in order to ensure that the light of godliness manifest in absolute should be hidden and that only a contracted form of light should illuminate and create creators of the world of Berea, which are on the level of creation ex nihilo. So too, from Berea to Yetzirah, in order to the world of Yetzirah, the world far lower than Berea to be created, there again has to be a powerful contraction. For the minute portion of light, minute, that is, in relation with the light found in Atzilot, which clothes itself in the world of Beria, is still a category of in infinity in the relation to the world of Yetzirah, so that the light of Beria has to undergo a powerful contraction before it was able to descend in Yetzirah. And it is unable to clothe itself in the later except through con contraction and obscuration. So too, from Yetzirah to Asiya. There too, the light of the world of Yetzirah had to be considerably limited to enable it descend in the world of Asiya. An elaborate explanation of this three contraction is given elsewhere in order to make them more accessible to our poor intellect. So even within us, within the person, you know, the, there's a big difference in the world of intellect and the world of emotion. Bria is mostly, predominantly, the world of intellect. Yitzira is the world of emotion. People have very powerful intellects, when they're lost in their comprehension, lost in thought, lost in comprehension, there's no room for the emotion. You know, the emotion is, is not developed then because it's like eclipsed by the comprehension. You know, that's why people with great intellects are able to control their emotions. Um, in order to fully develop the emotion, you have to like forget your intellect you just have to um, remove yourself from the world of intellect and then allow the emotion to to, to to give birth to the emotion so the parent has to remove himself so to speak in order to allow the birth of the emotion because as long as you're, you're in the world of intellect the emotion is like a subdued or the emotion is like in a pregnant state and it's not an independent doesn't allow the emotion to really become fully developed. Um, so you have to go away from the world of intellect, and only then are you able to fully develop the world of emotion, per se. So in order to get from intellect to emotion, also there has to be a tzimtzum, like there has to be, you have to go, it's two different worlds. So too, in, in, in we talk about the different worlds, to get from the world of creation, the world of creation in comparison to the world of formation, it's like infinite in comparison to the world of formation. So to get to the world, you needed a symptom, a powerful contraction to be able to limit the light and to be able to create and allow to create a lower world, a lower level, which is the world of formation, the world of emotions. And then to get from that to the world of action, you know, when, you're, when, you're, when your emotion is so intense, you can't even speak. And when a person is so intense and you're so emotional, uh, you can't even speak. 
So to get from the world of emotion, to get to the world of action, of speech, and let alone action, you have to like remove yourself from the world of emotion and, and then be able to express that in action or in speech. So again, you have to go through a very powerful contraction. To get from here to there, it's a different world, it's a different realm, it's a different level. So you need a powerful contraction to be able to create that level, to, create, to be able to create that world. So these are the general three levels of contraction that you have to go through in order to create the world, our world, which is the lowest and the purpose of all the worlds. As he's now going to say, Stephen. The purpose of all the contractions is the creation of the material human body and the subjugation by man of the Sitra to bring about the preeminence of light supplanting darkness. By having light replaced darkness, and even more so when the darkness itself is transformed into light, at which time the preeminence of light is felt to an even greater degree. Okay, so the whole purpose of creation, the whole purpose, not only of all of the worlds, of all of these simtsumim and all of these higher realms and the angels and the high levels of consciousness and everything was for our sake to create this world where a person a human being who is materialistic and even more so crass and coarse a world which is crass and coarse selfish, self-centered, self-absorbed, materialistic, a very tangible, earthy world. And what's the purpose? The purpose is not only that a person should exert himself and through great effort reveal his potential, actualize his potential, your spiritual potential, we have spiritual potential, but it's hidden, it's potential, and we have to develop it, and we have to exert ourselves in order to develop it. But it's much deeper than that, it's much more than that. Not only do we have to deal with revealing the potential, but also God wanted us to engage in this coarseness and this crassness and to change and to transform this darkness, transform this negativity and this bitterness and this coarseness and this crassness and to transform it into something sweet, into something light. Not only to vanquish the darkness, overcome the darkness, break the darkness, subjugate the darkness. We have challenges, we have negativity from within and from without that we have to overcome and we have to struggle with and we have to wrestle with and we have to break ourselves, we have to bend ourselves and we have to overcome. And ultimately we have to change and transform the darkness into light. That's the whole purpose of creation. And this could only be done in this world. This we only have in this world. We learned earlier in the Tanya that if it's just about revealing your potential, well, you can argue maybe in heaven they can also reveal potential. The potential is not as hidden as it is with us. We have to struggle much harder to reveal our potential, our innate, inherent spiritual potential. It's a much greater struggle. It's much more hidden than in heaven. But nevertheless, the idea of revealing potential exists there too. As it says in the, the Kabbalah, that the purpose of creation was in order to reveal Hashem's abilities. So that's revealing potential. So that exists in some form, exists even, even on high. But ultimately, the ultimate purpose is to make choices and to make difficult choices. And we're the only ones in the universe that have choice. Only God chooses and we choose. No one else. Animals don't choose. Angels don't choose. They don't have choices. We are the only creature in the universe that have choices. You're going to choose bitterness, 
can choose sweetness. I can choose life. I can choose death. I can choose good. I can choose evil. I can choose truth. I can choose lies. I can choose negativity. I can choose positive. Light or darkness. What's it going to be? And it's tough choices. And you have to subdue the darkness and subjugate the darkness. You're tempted to do something self-destructive and negative. Completely negative. It's a path, a dead end, a path to self-destruction. And you have to overcome your urge and your instinct and do the right thing. And that's the whole purpose of creation. We are the only ones who have choices. And this is what gives Hashem infinite pleasure. When we subjugate the darkness, overcome the darkness, make that choice. Because a choice is personal. A choice hits home. A choice engages the divine spark within us. We are the only ones who have that choice. Angels don't have this. Angels are not capable of this. What happens when an angel comes into this world? What does the Torah tell us? Hanefilim. This week's Parsha. This week's Torah portion. Hanefilim hoyubaretz. The fallen angels that fell to earth before the flood. And they were the ones that caused the flood. And a remnant of them was still around during the times of the spies when the Jews were about to conquer the land of Israel. What happened to them? And that's what the, the spies used them as an example to scare off the Jewish people. We better stay in the desert. Because in the desert you could be spiritual. In the desert is a pristine environment. Don't go into the land of Israel. You know what's going to happen if you go into the land of Israel? Look what happened at the angels. Look at these powerful and mighty angels. They were so powerful and mighty, they came into human form. They came into this world, the fallen angels. And they survived the flood. The only ones who survived the flood. They were so powerful. Look how great they were. And look what happened to them. They couldn't deal with, it, with the temptations. God planted them on 42nd Street in Times Square. And they couldn't handle it. When Times Square was Times Square, they couldn't handle it. The fallen angels. That's an angel. But a human being does have the strength. Because we're superior to an angel. We're greater than an angel. We are the purpose of creation. We have something that angels don't have. All the other religions are trying to become angels. Are busy trying to turn humans into angels. The Torah is trying to turn humans into humans. You're much superior than an angel. You're far superior than an angel. You have choice. Angels don't have choice. They don't know what to do with choice. If they had choice, they would fall. They don't have what it takes. But you were given the gift which only comes from the essence of Hashem. Only Hashem has freedom of choice. Who did He give that choice to? To us. The lowest of all the worlds. The crassest, the coarsest, the lowest. The darkest, the most bitter. And we have the choice. And we have that ability to choose. And that's the whole purpose of creation. We have the ability to subjugate the darkness, break the darkness, and ultimately transform the darkness. Transform the darkness into light, bitterness into sweetness. Instead of having a bitter personality and a bitter characteristic, you change it into sweet, beautiful, beautiful, fine qualities. We have that ability to change. No one else in the universe has that ability to change. Animals, whatever they are, they are. They're born cruel, they remain cruel the rest of their lives. They're born kind, they remain kind. We are the only ones who have the ability to take a rough human being who's naturally selfish and self-centered and egotistical or egomaniacal. And we have the ability to transform it into a kind, good, sweet, beautiful person who's kind and loving and caring and selfless and good. We have that ability. No one else has that ability to change. We have that ability to change. The only ones in the whole universe. So we are the purpose of creation. So Hashem created the whole universe the higher realms of consciousness with the infinite amount of angels and higher levels the many worlds many dimensions of reality spiritual realities consciousness beings spiritual beings angels myriad worlds in general there are three general worlds creation formation and action these are all spiritual worlds until our world the world of action higher realms we're not talking about the world of emanation that, that's the divine but we're talking about worlds, creations, beings, sentient beings, conscious beings, spiritual beings. It's an infinite myriad of angels and 
worlds and realities that are totally beyond us, spirit. And what was the purpose of all of that? We are the purpose of creation. We are the engine room of the universe. We are in the driver's seat of the whole universe. But in order to create this world of ours, a world which is coarse and crass and dark and bitter and negative and evil, Hashem had to go through so many contractions just in order to enable this type of world. To enable us to exist and enable us to do our magic, enable us to choose, enable us to change, enable us to marry Hashem, willingly enter into that marriage, that relationship. So this is the ultimate act of Hashem's love for the Jewish people. When a person elevates his design soul and his vivifying soul, a soul which receives nourishment through teleport, but through man's service in Torah and mitzvah is elevated and incorporated into holiness, thereby elevating the souls together with their garments of thought, speech, and action and all the powers of the body to God alone as he has been discussed earlier at length. This is accomplished, he says. We accomplish the um, bringing the light, transforming the darkness into light and revealing a much greater light, a more intense light. He says, through our service in this world, through our subjugating the darkness, and transforming the darkness, we reveal a much more intense light than the light that's revealed in the upper realms, in the higher realms, in the upper worlds. Much deeper level of light that we reveal. As he said, that that light will ultimately be revealed when Mashiach will come, with all its intensity. And it's much more intense and much greater than the light that's revealed, that's presently revealed, even in the highest realms. How is this accomplished? This is accomplished when we elevate our soul, our bodies, and elevate our, engage our material selves in serving Hashem. When we serve Hashem with our bodies, when we physically do the mitzvah and we think the words of Torah, fill our minds, fill our thoughts, fill our speech, fill our daily life, fill our actions with holiness and godliness, that's how we elevate ourselves and elevate the darkness and elevate the whole world to um, transform it into light, into godliness. Well, this is the purpose of the progressive descent of the world. The ultimate purpose of all the descent from level to level and world to world in this physical world it is here that a Jew is able, through his divine service, to effect the subjugation of evil and the preeminence of light, supplanting darkness. The Alta Rabbi now goes on to say that just as Hashem's love for the Jews overcome all obstacles, that, that, as it were, stood in the way of creating his physical world, contracting his definite light so that finite beings could be created so too could, should every Jew respond to him by overcoming all obstacles that hinder him from serving Hashem. Furthermore, his level of service too should not be finite or but infinite. A Jew's mission is mission impossible. We have to do the impossible. To lead a Jewish life, to follow the Torah, sometimes seems to, do, to be doing the impossible. How can you be a real human being living in this world with your feet, feet, feet firmly planted in this world and at the same time be a total Jew, a wholesome Jew, uncompromising, a passionate Jew? Is this a realistic program for real people living in this real world? In the Upper East Side in the year 2010? It seems like it's mission impossible. And perhaps it is. But Hashem also did the impossible. Because creating a finite world is impossible. How do you get from infinite to finite? It's impossible. And Hashem did it. 
The whole creation is, is mission impossible. And Hashem did it. How did He do it? Out of His love for us. So we too, out of our love for Hashem, could also pull off the impossible. Yes, it is impossible. So, miracles we do instantly. The impossible takes a little longer. But that's our mission statement. That's who we are. We are the Jewish people. God didn't choose us to do things that could be done. He chose us to do things that can't be done. That no one else can do. Not in heaven and not on earth. Not angels and not human beings. But if God did it for us, God did the impossible. Creation is the ultimate, the impossibility. How could there be creation? God is infinite. How do you you get from infinite to finite? So they had to have all these tzimtzumim, all these contractions, these powerful contractions after the first tzimtzum, and then a a contraction to emanate the world of emanation, and then to get from there to the world of creation, a powerful tzimtzum, and then to get from there the world of formation, and then to get from there the world of action, until our world, our dark world. This This was the impossible. This was overcoming an obstacle course. And God overcame seemingly impossible obstacles just in order, out of His love for us, just in order to create this physical world. So we can't help but reciprocate in kind and out of our love for Hashem also overcome all obstacles. They're not just imaginary obstacles. Many times obstacles, most of the time perhaps, obstacles are imaginary. But even if it's not imaginary obstacles, it's a real obstacle. Since when did that, did that ever stop us? Out of our love, Hashem, we'll overcome that obstacle. Nothing is going to get in the way of my relationship to Hashem. Nothing. There's nothing in this universe. There's no power, there's no force in the universe that can keep a Jew away from Hashem. That can cause a Jew to compromise on one letter of Hashem's Torah. Hashem? Hashem's wish? Hashem's code of Jewish law? Hashem's Torah? What obstacle? It's impossible? What do you mean it's impossible? It's Hashem's Torah. If Hashem says, Hashem knows me better than I am, Hashem knows my circumstances, circumstances better than I am, and if He says this is the right thing to do, what obstacle? There's no such thing. There's nothing in the universe that can stop me from doing the right thing, from doing what Hashem wants me to do. Because out of our love for Hashem, if Hashem loves us so much, that he, he overcame this obstacle course, so to speak, and created this impossibility, and created this, this world out of his love for us. So out of our love for Hashem, we reciprocate in kind, and there is no obstacle. There's nothing standing in our way. This water mirror is the reflection of a face, just as water reflects an exact replica of one's face, so too with regard to the heart of man through Solomon. The love of one person to another results in the other person's loving him as well. As Hashem has, as it were, laid down and set aside, figuratively speaking, His great infinite light has stored it away and concealed it by means of three different kinds of contractions, and all this because of His love to lowly man, in order to raise them up to Hashem. This means to say that Hashem created a world and may serve Him, and by doing so, man is uplifted to Hashem. But how is it possible for love to bring about contraction when love signifies kindness and expansiveness, while contraction and concealment characterize severity? The Altarebi answers this implied question by pointing out that we find that love too can bring about contraction, as in the Gemara now quoted. For love impels the flesh so that the flesh will not impede it. Thus, because of Hashem's love for His people, he, figuratively speaking, set aside his great light and concealed it through many contractions and so on. If Hashem loves us, so why is he hiding from us? He's contracting his light. He's limiting his light. He's reducing his light. He's absenting himself, so to speak. At least consciously. How is this an act of love? And he says we find in the Talmud... That this non-Jew once saw Rabbi Lazar, the son of Rabbi Shimon by Yechai, the author of the Zohar. Together, 
were standing together with Rabbi Yishmael, the son of Rabbi Yaisi. They were colleagues. But they were extremely, extremely fat. They had, their stomachs were extremely fat. And he says, you know, he accused them that their children can't be theirs. Because how could you be intimate with your wife when you're so, so fat? Well, your wife's children, they, must, they can't be your children. So they responded, our wife's even fat, <laughs> fatter than us. So he says, if, if so, then certainly your children are not yours. And the answer was that the nature of love is ava de basar. The nature of love is that it, it squeezes you together. When you love someone, there's no separation. And even when there appears to be a separation, you contract and you come together. Uh, so the nature of love is, you know, when a person really loves someone, there's no separation. And they're able to meld and they're able to push together and they're able to, to get together. So Hashem's contraction was actually an act of love. Because Hashem loves us, because Hashem was attracted to us, because Hashem wanted to marry us and wanted to be intimate with us. And therefore, He contracted Himself. And He hid and He removed Himself and enabled us, created a space, enabled us to exist, enabled us to feel our existence, and enabled us to be able to choose to have a relationship with Hashem, to make that choice. And it's that choice that makes it so precious, that makes the relationship so precious, that makes the marriage so precious. So this is the ultimate act of love. So because, of Hashem, because Hashem loved us, that's why He contracted Himself. That's why He removed Himself. He absented Himself. It's the ultimate act of love. It's the ultimate selfless act. It's not about me. It's about you. That's the ultimate act of love. Love is not about... It's not just about me. Love could be self-expression. It's not about you. It's about me. You make me feel good. But the ultimate act of love is, Hashem removed Himself, it's about you, it's not about me. He created the space and allowed our existence. He absented Himself. So if Hashem is able to love us to such a great extent, that He's able to absent Himself, and able to contract Himself, and is able to overcome all the obstacles, just in order to reach us, just in order to love us as we are, create us. So how much more so we have to reciprocate and we want to reciprocate. We can't help but reciprocate. Because like a mirror you can't help it. The mirror can't help but reflect. So we can't help but love Hashem in return with such an intense love that if we have to contract ourselves and absent ourselves and overcome our own obstacles and remove ourselves, remove our egos and go beyond our ego and overcome obstacles there's nothing in the world that will stop us from being intimate with Hashem, from being close to Hashem, from following the Jewish way of life, from living like a Jew, thinking like a Jew, speaking like a Jew, acting like a Jew, 24-7. There's nothing in the world that can get in the way between us and Hashem. And we're ready to make the ultimate, the ultimate uh, sacrifice. Much more so than an infinite number of times more. Is it fitting that a man also is religious and set aside all who possesses both spiritually and physically and renounce everything in order to cleave to him with attachment, desire, longing, without any hindrance, within or without, neither of body nor soul, hindrances from within, nor money, nor wife, nor children, hindrances from without. None of these things should hinder him from cleaving to God. By renouncing them all, he sets aside even his most important needs for the sake of his love of God. He doesn't mean a person should not have a wife and should not have uh, children. That's the first mitzvah in the Torah. But he says a person should not define himself and let that get in the way of your relationship with Hashem. I'm too busy earning money. I'm too busy with my career. Hashem has to wait. If I'll have some extra time, if I'll have some extra energy left over after I take care of my career, 
And after I take care of my spouse, and after I take care of my children, if there's a time that's neither day nor night, a time that never doesn't exist, if I have a little spare energy left, I'll give Hashem a little, a few minutes here, a few minutes there. That's, that's not... Not a, that's not a love relationship between the Jew and Hashem. What do you mean if you have a few minutes to spear? This is an all-consuming love. If you realize how much Hashem loves us, the ultimate act of love, Hashem absented Himself just for our sake. And He loved us, and He fell in love with us, and He wanted to marry us, just to be intimate with us. And He left everything, all of the higher world, just for us. And He overcame and he contracted himself and overcame all these obstacles and did the impossible just for us. So how much more so that we have to love Hashem in return and we will overcome any obstacle and we're ready to go beyond our egos and go beyond ourselves for Hashem's sake and not allow anything get in the way. Because this is our this is an all-consuming love. Just like intimacy is all-consuming. Marriage is all-consuming. We're married to Hashem. Hashem is married to us. And He contracted Himself just to be intimate with us. He went through all these powerful contractions just in order to create our world so that we should be able to do, study Torah and do mitzvah with our physical bodies in order so that we should be able to transform the darkness to light and by doing a mitzvah we connect with the essence of Hashem or being intimate with Hashem so this is marriage this is intimacy Judaism is a marriage Judaism is not religion Judaism is not mysticism that's what he's trying to impress on us here Judaism is a marriage marriage is all encompassing marriage is not 99.9% it's all encompassing there's nothing I hold back there's no reservation 100% and it's not spiritual marriage is not abstract marriage is not intellectual or spiritual marriage is tangible it's everything it engages every fiber of my being every bone in my body mind heart soul conscious subconscious total concentration total being total presence it's an all-encompassing love an all-encompassing relationship so to a Jew's mar- a Jew once you realize Hashem is married to us and Hashem contracted Himself just to be intimate with us, we can't help but be attracted to Hashem. Feel an attraction to Hashem. Powerful attraction. A love. All-consuming attraction. And we can't get enough with every fiber of our being. There's nothing in the way. There's no barriers. My wife, my children, my business, how could it be a barrier? It's not a barrier to Hashem. On the contrary. My marriage is, is, is a perfect paradigm for the marriage of the Jew and Hashem. Not only isn't it a contradiction, it's divine. Then the marriage becomes the divine. It's not like the marriage is just an end in itself. Or marriage is just nothing to do with my, Jew, with my Jewishness, with my Judaism. Nothing to do with my relationship to Hashem. It has everything to do with everything. It has everything to do with my relationship to Hashem. Because the marriage is a paradigm and it's holy and I bring holiness into my life. I'm bringing Hashem into my life. Everything is permeated with Hashem. I'm taking care of my children. It's my divine mission to educate my children. Hashem is part of everything. So it's not like my life is compartmentalized. I have Hashem. That's religion. That's mysticism. Then I have my marriage. Then I have my children. Then I have my career. And one has nothing to do with the other. For a Jew, my relationship to Hashem is a marriage. And it's all-consuming and all-encompassing. And it's passionate, and it involves every fiber of my being, every bone in my body. So, I, my, I look at my marriage not as something separate from my relationship and marriage to Hashem. On the contrary, that helps me in my relationship to Hashem. That is part of my relationship to Hashem. And I bring Hashem into the marriage, into my bedroom, into my home, into my relationship, and my children as well, and my business. It's all a reflection of my all-consuming, passionate love for Hashem. There are no barriers. There's nothing in the way. There's no obstacles. So therefore, not only it's not a contradiction, well, I'm too busy. I have no time for Hashem. I have just too much on my plate. Between my career and my relationship and my children, who has time and energy left for Hashem? 
What do you mean? What do you mean who has time and energy left for Hashem? Hashem gave up everything for us and did the impossible for us. And He's attracted to us and He loves us. And He gave Himself to us, He gave everything to us. He's intimate with us, He's married us, He brought us into His inner chambers. So we can't help give everything back, everything in return. We are attracted to Hashem. And it's intimate, and it's marriage, and it's all-encompassing, and it's physical, and it's practical, and it's, it's every, 100% of everything that we have, we're giving to Hashem. So there's no obstacle. It's, there's nothing to, to get in the way. And we have to forget about ourselves. It's not about us, it's about Hashem. And you know, a person who forgets about himself, who has the ability to forget about his ego for a second and a half, is a person who will be a wonderful husband and a wonderful wife. Because that's the key ingredient in marriage also. Forget about yourself for three and a half seconds. Notice your partner. Notice your lover. Notice your spouse. Will be a wonderful parent. Will have the time and energy to take care of their children and to educate them and to really connect with them on a real level, on a soul level. Not just superficially. And you know what? We'll have a very successful career. Because we'll be a wonderful employer, a wonderful employee. We'll be honest, a person with principle, a person that people will be attracted to do business with. Because there's an honest person, there's one honest person. A person who has character, a person who has morals, a person who has. This is a person who has the peace of mind to be able to be successful in business. There's no compartmentalization. It's all encompassing. The more, the more developed your relationship with Hashem is, as a naturally, as a consequence, you'll be healthier, you'll be successful, your relationships will be deeper and more satisfying and more genuine. Your relationship to your children will be much more meaningful. It's, it's, but a person who uses it as an excuse, I'm too busy. I have no time for Hashem. I have to take care of my relationships. I have no time. I'm busy with my children. I have no time. I'm busy with my career. This is, this is a person that's very wanting or missing the key ingredient in developing a full relationship. So he says, our love for Hashem has to be all-encompassing, all-consuming. Just like a physical attraction. It's a very powerful pull. It's a very powerful attraction. And if Hashem is attracted to us, it's like a mirror. We can't help but be attracted to Hashem. It's very simple. <laughs> Someone is crazy about you, you'll be crazy about them. Hashem is crazy about us. He overcame all the obstacles. He contracted himself. He did, he did the impossible just for us. He created the whole universe just for us. He's crazy about us. Brings us into his bedroom, into his holy of holies, into his innermost chamber. Ministers are not allowed in. Angels are not allowed in. Higher levels of consciousness are not allowed in. And who did he bring in? Us. If you think about it, and the more you think about it, the more you're aware of it, you can't help but be impassioned with a flaming love for Hashem. We're attracted to Hashem. We're crazy about Hashem. And there's nothing in the world. We're not going to let anything in the world get in the way. We're not going to let anything, anything distort anything and claim that my relationships and my children and my business is a contradiction to Hashem. It can't be. On the contrary. The more we overcome the obstacles, the more we remove the obstacles, the more you'll see that that's the underpinning for my relationship with my spouse. And that's the underpinning for my relationship with my children. And that's the underpinning for my success in my business and my career. It means you have the time to put on tefillin every day and you have the time to study Torah and you have the time to do a Jew a favor and you have the time to... Then you'll have the time, you'll find the time to spend some time with your children and educate them. You'll find the time for your spouse, to give them the time of day and the respect. 
that they need and deserve, etc. That egolessness, only someone who has that quality of egolessness, who's able to forget about his ego and forget about himself, only that person is able to have truly lasting, satisfying relationships with his children and his spouse and with his business partners and with anyone, his customers. It's, it's all, it all comes from the same quality. So if Hashem is able to forget about Himself, surely we're able to forget about our egos, just a little, and go beyond our egos. And that's when we start living. That's when we come alive. That's when we truly experience life, we truly taste life. And He says it's the most natural. Because if you, once you feel and you realize and aware how much Hashem loves us, it's the most natural thing in the world. You just love Hashem in return. You don't have to be spiritual. You don't have to be a mystic. You don't have to be a scholar. On the contrary, the person who's less of a mystic and less of a scholar, his love is, is so much more powerful because the fact that Hashem loves me and, I'm, and there's nothing special about me. Why, why, why did Hashem fall in love with me? I'm not a great mystic. I'm not a great meditator. I'm not a great scholar. I'm a simple person. And yet Hashem went through all of this just for me. And he invited me into his bedroom. And he loves me. And he's attracted to me. And he's married to me. The Torah was given in the Ten Commandments. were given in the singular. It's all about me as an individual. Despite how low I am. And despite that I don't have any special qualities. And I'm not an Einstein. And I'm not a genius. And I'm, not, I'm just a simple. So my heart just, just melts in love with Hashem. How, how, can, how can I not love Hashem? If Hashem loves me so much. I don't see any rhyme or reason for this love. How much? How, so I can't help it but love Hashem in return. You just can't help it. It's natural. It's the most natural thing in the world. Because it's only it's only through the darkness that um, the light. Firstly, you appreciate the light when there's darkness, but also the light is much deeper. It's a much deeper light. The light that comes out of the darkness is much deeper. But that we learned at great length in the earlier chapters, in one of the th chapters in the 30s, 37. Um, but it's the idea that through, through the darkness, the light is a much superior quality. The light that comes out of the darkness is superior than the light in heaven. It's all light. There is no darkness because we have to deal with the darkness and we have to overcome the darkness, subjugate the darkness and transform the darkness there's a different quality to the light it's not only that you appreciate the light it's the same light but you appreciate it when there's darkness it's much deeper than that it's much deeper, just like you see from the black of the eye, from the dark of the eye it's a light that comes out of the darkness is a much higher level of light than a light in heaven where there is no darkness but the, so the only way we achieve that light is by going through the darkness it's much more intense. It's almost like a laser light. It's, it's, it's much more intense. It's a different quality to the light. So the only way to achieve that is by dealing with the darkness. And that's, that's how we bring Mashiach. Through our efforts in this world, in this milieu, with the darkness, with the challenges, and all the negativity around us. And, and we do the mitzvah with the, engaging the body and the physical. And then we're able to bring into this world such an intense light which will be revealed when Mashiach comes. Right now it's like stored away, but there'll be in an, a moment when Mashiach will come, and this world, which is so narrow and constricted and limited, will have the most intense revelation, which will far exceed and surpass the light of the highest realms and the highest spiritual realms in this physical world. This will be illuminated with such an illumination, such an intense illumination of godliness, when the whole world will be permeated with godliness, with the coming of Mashiach. Any moment, imminently. So we achieve it today and all these years through our actions by dealing with the darkness, especially our generation, which has to deal with the most intense darkness. You know, unfortunately, a Holocaust survivor goes on that boat. I mean, is there a greater darkness than that? I mean, you can't blame her. Anyone that went to the Holocaust, you can't blame them for anything. But imagine... You know, you look at these thugs as your friends, and you look at your brother and sister as the enemy. Jews, we're, we're the bad people, we're the murderers. <laughs> and these chayas and these animals and thugs and terrorists, 
they're, they're the good people and we're the bad people. You hate your fellow Jew and you love some terrorists backwards, the most backward place in God's world, the most oppressed place in God's world. Women are treated like, like cattle are treated better than women. These are, these are the people you're defending. This is the culture you're defending. And, and you, you don't see anything bad and about your own fellow Jew you, you, you really believe that they're murderers and the worst and, I mean, is there a deeper darkness than that? the self-hating Jew it's the deepest darkness and yet despite this milieu instead of being demoralized a Jew is even stronger we're even more joyful about our Jewishness and we're going to study more Torah and bring more light and communicate the message even more and then this, this is so precious. This brings the light. This is going to bring the light of Mashiach, the intense light that's going to illuminate this world. In any moment, Hashem is going to switch on the light switch. And this illumination that we've accumulated over thousands of years, all the sacrifice and the heroism and the faith and the trust and the good deeds and the kindness, and all of this will reach a critical mass in one split second. The whole world will be illuminated with the intense light of Hashem. Then the Jewish people, Israel will be the new, the new center of the world. Yerushalayim will be the capital of the world. The Beis Hamikdash will be the White House of the world. The Mashiach will be the president of the world. And every Jew will be the teacher and the prophet and the guide. Every Jew will have under him 2,800 non-Jews that he'll be responsible to teach. To teach Tanya and to teach Hasidus and to teach Torah and to teach them about Hashem and to teach them the truth. And this is the world that we're about to enter any moment. So don't be demoralized. Don't be discouraged. We should be even stronger and more joyful. Thank you. Be continued. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.